1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? a secret ambition. I propose to end the domination of Silicon Valley. Project Main Strike. A secret plan. For which each of you will pay me $100 million. And a secret weapon. We're not sure about her. Name's Mayday. Someone will take care of you. Oh, you'll uh, see to that personally, will you? There's only one man who can stop them. everybody and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro and I once again have our crack James Bond panel together. Mr. Chris Tyler. Hey everybody. Mr. David Pascarella. How's it going? And Mr. Jeffrey Vaughn. Hello there. How's everybody doing? As well as can be expected in the current climate, I guess. Yeah, right. Okay, I am yeah. not going to ask you to elaborate on that, because that could right. be a podcast unto itself. It probably could. Or yeah. seven. 
Yeah. I'm just talking about my own my own stuff, though. So. But that's not why we're here. Now, we are here to take a look at the final entry of the Roger Moore era of James Bond, A View to a Kill from 1985. I will give you my initial thoughts and ask you guys to follow up, because I think the popular conception on this film is that it's the weakest of the Roger Moore entries. And while I will concede Roger was probably about 56, 57 years old when they filmed this, he was too old to be playing James Bond, but... But... And we'll talk about sometimes when that kind of played into things. Uh, I found this to be a very enjoyable movie. Uh, I would put this above, without giving my ratings yet, I would put it above Octopussy, which uh, we did not rate very highly as a group. I would put it above uh, Moonraker. And I would put it probably on a par and maybe higher than The Man with the Golden Gun. yeah, well, well, let's let's see where we end up. But uh, yeah, this, uh, I mean, I'm an '80s kid, so this was one of the ones that was on, you know, all the time on cable. I, so I think I may have misspoken in an earlier show, and I think I may have said once uh, "Live and Let Die" came out, I saw every James Bond movie in the movies when it first came out. But I realized I had not done that with this one. This one I saw on home video. I did oh. not see this in a movie theater. And I saw it when it was first out on on VHS tape, and I've seen bits and pieces of it since, but until I watched it for today, I had not watched it all the way through again. This was only the second time I ever watched it from beginning to end. Wow. What are you guys, uh, what's your initial thoughts on this? Uh, I grew up with this one. This is one of the ones that was on all the time when I was at the, uh, the age to start getting into it so i mean six seven eight years old this one was on all the time and it's my first exposure to you know to to christopher walken and not my first exposure to to james bond but even as a kid i was like um james is looking a little old just a little bit but uh yeah and i mean now thinking about it I feel like they really did Patrick McNee really dirty in this movie. I just feel so they did. bad. They did. It's just yeah, that you got this guy in there on screen with James Bond, and you treat him like a joke. Ugh, well, just, I don't know. I, I think, and I, I want to give the other guys a chance to give their first thoughts, yeah. but just to quickly respond to that, I think the biggest thing they did, the biggest disservice they did to him, is when he got taken out. You didn't even get to see it. Yeah, yeah. If, if they good. they should have at least had him put up a good fight and you know, show himself to be a capable agent, and they didn't allow that. So that's where yeah, they did him a disservice. But uh, let's let's keep let's let everybody get a chance to give their initial thoughts. Dave, what do you say? You know, you you and I are usually pretty much on the same page. I didn't like this movie at all. I loved this movie when it was Goldfinger, <laughs> <laughs> and I loved. Parts of this movie when it was movies I already saw. I mean, it's it's a fun romp, but the plot is it's just to me it was like recycled. Seen this before, like this the first time. It's but you, you could you could say that about a lot of James Bond. To be fair, and I don't mean and to I argue with you. Was, Everybody's opinion counts. Saying that with the spy who loved me, how that was, but I felt that was done well. This, to me, was just... I mean, we even had a J.W. Pepper who wasn't as good as J.W. Pepper. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I'll get into a deep... Yeah, well, that's it. You know, like I said, everybody's entitled, and I, I think your opinion so far probably is closer to the popular opinion than Chris and mine, and let's see what Jeff has to say. I have to say that... Part of my view to a kill of this is... See, that's when you get a writer in here. <laughs> matter and matter, the, fur- the older I get at how they wasted Walken. I absolutely hate this movie. And the sole redeeming... No, okay, that's unfair. The, one of the two redeeming features of this movie... 
was the theme song by Duran Duran. And and to to expand on that, I think the theme song worked into the score overall, and I thought this the overall score was pretty good yeah. quality. I, I would not I would not argue that point. I, I the theme grabbed me, and Walken's line, "Would anyone else care to drop out?" <laughs> um, which was which was in the old school Bond of the character saying something funny, but not at his own expense or the audience's expense. Not when uh, Bond in Octopussy tells the tiger to sit with the pronounced oh. T from the Wodehouse Way with Dogs, which was on PBS in those days. Uh, and I, it's funny, I'm not overwhelmingly a Bond purist. I mean, Daniel Craig's Casino Royale is my favorite, and I've seen most of them in the theater or the drive-in, I'm that old, uh, since uh, Goldfinger. You know, I certainly saw all of them opening day from Spy Who Loved Me through up up until World Is Not Enough, which I saw the second day. Okay, I think that, that qualifies you as a Bond purist to be... Uh, I, you know, know, that that no, doesn't mean you have to be offended by things. I'm enthusiast, but I can... Okay, I can, enthusiast, you know, I yes. Have no separating, I have no problem separating the books and, the, and even separating the Fleming from the non-Fleming books and enjoying them for what they are. Um, uh, I love James Bond. I hated this movie. <laughs> All right, All right, so we got two. We got two and two. This is good. I, yeah. I I I like when we have dissenting opinions because I think it makes for some interesting talk. Uh, so let me let me try and see if I can make my argument for why I pretty much enjoyed this. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's funny because. As, as I start to do that, because I hadn't put it together an outline oh, to do okay. that, as, as I start to do that, I overwhelmingly start thinking about the negatives. Um, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you... Uh, so this, from, is the, this is the problem when you're trying to be a nice person about a bad movie, Paul. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I really enjoyed the character of Mayday. Yes. I thought Grace Jones was a formidable henchman for Zorin. I thought I liked the fact that she turned on Zorin in the end when she saw that he turned on him. Uh, she she was I can't go as far as to say she was a three dimensional character, but she was slightly more than two dimensional as some of the uh, henchmen are. Uh, I mean she she looked she actually looked like she could be doing the things that she was doing in the movie. Yeah. So you know that's that's a plus. Uh, Tanya Roberts, although I think she's a was a terrible actress. Uh, and didn't have the greatest part in this movie. I thought she was drop-dead gorgeous in it, so I'm, I'm willing to kind of go with her never, on that. I would never argue that point, but if she had said, oh, James, one more time, I might have gone on a multi-state killing spree. <laughs> I mean, the screaming, the screaming. Look, it, this is it's the last Roger Moore movie. By this point... People are going, and they're going to expect certain things. You're expecting the O. James and some of the camp and some of the more ridiculous stuff that had been seeping in during his entire run. In some ways, it's the greatest hits swan song of, of Roger Moore. And again, with the recycled same exact plot, the henchman turns, just like in, in Goldfinger. But uh, See, I thought I more, know, I mean, although... He couldn't help the fact that he was 50-whatever years old at that yeah. point, uh, which I believe, I, I'm pretty sure, Jeff, you and I are pretty much contemporaries, so I'm pretty sure he was younger than you and I at that point. Uh, I, uh, I would say, I, I would, I, I'm actually 58 right now. As am I. And I would say that I don't begrudge him being a 58-year-old James Bond. I that's don't not one. Of, that's not one of the things I... It's not one of the things I hold against this movie. No, I don't know. think he mailed in his performance either. I thought he did bring as much of an A game as he had uh, with the lines, and I thought you know the the biggest the biggest weakness in his performance was for the action scenes. You know they had to use the stunt double a Ooh. decent amount, yeah. and I don't think yeah. the direction really covered that up as well as it could. I thought I the opening did a bad job of that. I thought the opening scene. Uh, Looked to me more like a studio than a uh, 
than that they were than them, them being on location anywhere. Only on the close-ups. All, all the ice looked like it was foam rubber. I, or, I really or, or, the opening scene in this one, but again, I'm a mock for whenever James is in the snow. You know so. what I needed? I needed I needed him to open up the uh, the Union Jack uh, parachute or something. Yeah, it's, it, it's funny. I grew up I grew up with my my older cousin uh, yelling at me because I liked Roger Moore better than Connery. And your cousin yeah. was right. Oh, well, my cousin, cousin <laughs> but my cousin was always yelling at me. And I was also a teenager at the time. Um, and, but my cousin was always yelling at me, Roger Moore is the saint, not James Bond. Why not both? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, no, I have no problem with that. Uh, to me, he was James Bond because I never really got into the saint. Uh, except for the fact of the way they disposed of Patrick McNee in it, I kind of liked the fact that he was there. It just seemed very cool to me. Then, then you know, you start out with the scene when, when he's, you know, but when you do this, do that, do this, and you're thinking, oh, he's really just abusing him until he presses the tape player, and you saw it. It was an all, all an act the two of them were doing together. And, and I, you know, I still thought it was kind of cool. And then he, he was showing himself to be fairly effective, but then you just come in the car, and he's there, and he's dead. That, yeah. That's what, yeah. that's what just and, was and, the and disservice. To me, to me uh, that as a fan of the genre... Even the silly stuff. That was how they wasted Patrick McNee and, and again Walken. I didn't think they it, wasted it, Walken so much. I, yeah. I I thought he felt threatening to me. Uh, and he, he delivered. You know, he he wasn't quite the Christopher Walken he was going to become ten he years later. Oh, Staten. He, he was getting. He this was this getting was Deer Hunter Chris Walken. And and I but I, I look at it and I, and I was like the one the the charitable things I will say I don't blame Roger Moore you know I think this was poorly directed I, I don't disagree stuff, you taught the stuff that you that you said about the the stuntman and things like that I was not that adept at that time at seeing this stuff. And it was bloody apparent to me. Yeah. Well, you know, what, was, I, what was the time frame between, I can't even remember now, between this and, and, and Octopussy? Were they back-to-back? I think, this, I think I'm pretty sure this was 85. I think Octopussy was 83. Yes. So, I mean, that's, I mean, you got enough, you know you're going to be doing another one. You would have had enough time to, to work on a script and, I mean... Then again, I mean, he's getting older. What are you going to do? Like, the scenes where it's him running, running, and it's him. It's, I mean, he's. It does, it does take you out of your suspension of disbelief a little bit when you see a fifty-seven-year-old man trying to run like he's thirty-five. It's just, I, but, I don't know. But even the the take the first car chase in Paris. Yeah. It makes. Sheriff Justice's car chase and Smokey and the band that looked like serious. He rips the top of the car off. The car gets ripped in half and yeah. it's still going. And not, not only was it ripped in half, but it was ripped in half as if you took a laser and cut it straight across. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, there were no jagged edges. It wasn't, you know, it just, it, it was just too, too pat and set up that it, and, and, well, and the, and the problem with that is you have that amazing stunt where Mayday, and whoever's being the stunt person there parachutes off the Eiffel Tower and gets herself into the water and lands on the yacht. Like, which is, if you saw that in any movie without any sort of goofiness, you'd just be like, that's a really impressive stunt. Somebody actually did that? Wow. That's... Yeah. I, I mean, he hits the wedding cake and walks away with nothing on him. Well, that's, movies is but magic, that's, right? that's 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 Bond. <laughs> that's that's uh, you know that that's 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 Sean Connery wearing a, uh, a what you call it a rubber suit over his tuxedo, taking Tux, off the rubber yeah, suit yeah. and and not having a wrinkle in the tuxedo. True. You know that that's James that's Bond. How, that's how it usually goes for me. I, I don't remember what it was. I think there was a, a cartoon. I think it was like a Flintstones cartoon or something where there was like a, a, a James Bond takeoff. And something happened, he fell in the water, and he come, walks out, and he isn't even wet. If it was the Flintstones, it was Jay Bondrock. Yes. Judo, chop, chop, chop. Judo, uh, chop, chop, chop. <laughs> it was, you're two stupid good-lookings. Uh, 
Anyway, if you get the reference, then you're laughing, and if you don't get it, then just move on. But uh, uh-huh. I, I agree. I thought the direction by John Glenn, and I think this is his third Bond movie that he directed. Uh, yes. I, I thought it, it, it lacked a certain amount of, of planning to, to make it look good and to make it look seamless. I, you know I think let, let's 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 be fair and say obviously not all of his stuff is like this movie. And so if we want to get into his head a little bit and say, okay, what are some of the excuses that he might have? One, studios just make up their minds at the last minute about stuff. Uh, two, oh, I'm stuck with a 58 year old James Bond, and he gets demoralized by that. But rather than using that as a challenge, and I don't know what else, you know, you don't know what's going on in the guy's life at the time, you know, any, anything else like that. All you know is the end result. And the end result is this guy phoned us in. Especially yeah. if you compare it to his previous work. Yeah. It's, I, it's I, very, I don't disagree with that. And, it's, and just, it's workmanlike and it's, it's bland. It, it doesn't quite have the punch. Right. One of my first things that I ever wrote was Agent 070 James Bland, and this would have been perfect for him. (laughs) I mean, did you ever think you would live to see James Bond riding around in a Ford LTD? Well, when in America? Come on. Ah, The Russian agent had a Corvette, and Bond's riding around in an LTD. He couldn't even upgrade to the Crown Vic. He's not a policeman. <laughs> Come on. I, I I actually thought the Silicon Valley plotline was pretty good, and it was pretty. You know, you know, I we we recently went car shopping, and we went into the dealership, and they're like, yeah, we don't have any cars right now because we don't have microchips. There's there's a, a severe microchip shortage right now, and it's it's cut down on car production like dramatically right now. Uh, and it's in, expected to go on for a little while. But it, it almost feels like this movie was predicting what we're going through now with the, the shortage of microchips. That, uh, I, think that, I think one of the great things about any form of speculative fiction in virtually any genre is that something they predicted is now true. Because we live in a crazy world. Oh, yeah. And how do we know that there isn't a Zoran out there who uh, who, who has engineered fully, this for us? I fully expect that there is. And, and, and I'm, I'm just going to, you know, I can't tell you you're split. wrong. I can't tell you you're wrong because opinions are, are opinions. But I liked... Uh, Christopher Walken's performance in this movie. I thought he seemed like, you know, there was like a smoldering underneath, uh, just just waiting to jump out. But, he, you know, that he was he was like calm and jokey on the surface. Uh, two, two thoughts come into mind with Never Say Never Again, Dave's favorite James Bond movie ever. Uh, I thought that one did a better job than this by kind of acknowledging that Bond was getting older. And I think if they had done that, it would have been doing a service to this movie. But... I think of, uh, what was it, Klaus Marie Bra- uh, Brand- Brenda, whatever, Brenda who, who played the villain in that movie, was trying to do what Christopher Walken, I think, successfully did in this movie, to be, you know, kind of soft-spoken and calm in the way he speaks, but have that seething underneath. And I thought Walken actually did that, whereas I thought in Never Say Never Listen, Again they failed. I think, I think one of the reasons that I get mad about Walken is not his effort. I get mad because of the script. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you see what he did with a lousy script, you see the actor he's going to become. Yeah. Did you find it odd that they have a disclaimer at the beginning of the movie? Well, apparently there was a company there was a company that started up while they were filming this or while it was in production with a very similar name to Zorin. And they were afraid of people thinking that they were trying to uh, take off on that company. I can tell you, I did not know that. That is human. I didn't either. Hey, now, just... just uh, I mean, it's a major motion picture. Don't need reprisal. Just just wor- worth noting is that uh, their original choice for Zorin was uh, David Bowie. 
Oh, that would have been great. I could see that. Well, you know, Bowie as the hitman in Into the Night uh, makes me think that that would have been brilliant. Yeah, that's. I'm trying to. I'm trying to replay scenes in my head now with him, and it, yeah, that definitely would have worked. Yeah, apparently he. He didn't want to do it because ultimately he turned it down. Or I think originally he agreed to it and then backed out uh, because he just felt too much of the on-screen presence was going to be his stunt double. So he didn't, you know, he he didn't want to do that. Uh, and then the second choice for Zorin was Sting. Apparently they were going for that musical motif initially. Well, they just really liked Dune. Who knows? I Yeah, I, I sting now. I, I, can't, I can't see Sting. See, well, I see, I see Bowie being a slightly more flamboyant and more, more like everything out in the open, Zorin. Whereas I would see Sting as much more introverted. I think, I think, and I think Walken was somewhere in between that. Well, it's 1985, and it's a major motion picture with a, an evil billionaire bad guy. I, I, I would be looking for flamboyant myself. Well, I, I like I said, I, I was pretty happy actually with with what with what, what Walken did with the role. I walked away as as I already mentioned, uh, but you guys haven't given your opinions on it. That I was very impressed with Grace Jones as May Day, and I'm yeah, curious. I, her her and Walken are two of the best parts of the movie, and uh, and I say that as somebody who who can throw this one on and enjoy it. They definitely carry when they're on the screen because Roger is, as we've said, getting older and this, you know, they're trying to cover a little bit for how old he is. So they have the bulk of trying to draw you in. Um, Cause I don't know about you, but at, at six, seven years old, um, horse breeding and horse selling was not a, um, something to get me pumped up in my seat, you know? So I, I will watch it now and I'm, fine with it i mean i you know i like to, i like a horse race uh, you know i've never gone anywhere as nice as is where they go at the uh, the beginning of the movie but um yeah there's there's some stuff in here that is a little clunky if you're younger <laughs> but never got bored watching the two of them on screen as a kid because you know she's a cartoon and he's a cartoon just toned down a little bit so yeah so we, we saw this is the final performance uh, of uh, Lois Maxwell as Miss Moneypenny. It kind of makes sense. You know. Well, I, I think it, make, it makes sense to usher them both out the door if you're going to yeah. if you're going to pass on Roger Moore at this point. I think, you know, it's worthwhile to clean house on that. Uh, I, you know, Desmond Llewellyn, you had hang out for quite a while longer, Good. but I don't think his part was as I don't, I don't think his part was as age sensitive. No, no, you no, can be. In, you fact, can be, in fact, in fact it, it absolutely was not. No, right. you could be old and smart. Yeah. You just so. can't be old and have to chase somebody down the Eiffel Tower. And he got he got the laugh at the end with the yeah. oh he's cleaning up a few details. Yeah, again, yeah. it's another greatest hits thing. That's what do, what do we what do we know Q is going to do in a Roger Moore James Bond movie? He's going to have the low key dirty joke and everybody's going to laugh. <laughs> Now another another uh, casting thing that uh, that I learned was the Russian woman in the movie. They wanted Barbara Bach to reprise her part from The Spy Who Loved Me. There. Ooh. Well, that that, that would have changed my opinion of the movie entirely. Yeah. Internal continuity in a James Bond film? No. It's, well, it's not like they had Maud Adams playing two different parts. Hey, Gogol made it back again. Yes. That's true. And he started very early. Yeah. Now, well, I don't uh, think he'd be picking people up on the side of the road. I think that's a little beneath him. Uh, I, who knows? I did not see, but I did read that uh, one of Gogol's men was uh, Dolph Lundgren. Because he, he happened to be on the set because he was dating Grace Jones at the time. And they Whoa. they asked him if he just wanted to to be in the background in the shot, the scene when they when he confronts uh, Zorin at the at the track for having theoretically killed Bond. 
I'll have to go back and rewatch that. Uh, Big Dolph. That's fan. a phrase I never use. What? I'll have to go back and rewatch View to a Kill. <laughs> well, I, hey, look, if I'm looking for cameos, I want to see the person, you know? How do the two of them not have any kids? Their kids would be, like, brilliant and, like, Amazon-sized. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure where, where you're defining brilliant from. <laughs> he's a PhD. Dolph Lundgren's got, like, what, six degrees? Yeah, he's 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 brilliant. I don't know, maybe I'm just thinking too much of his movie personas. No, he, absolutely, man. He's a scientist and a... a I must break you. So he's the... Yeah. the he, he's like the male Mayim Bialik. Yes. Yeah, sure, if you want to go that way. Sure. <laughs> he, never, he never lowered himself to be on a crappy sitcom, though, or two crappy sitcoms, so... Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll just... I'll let that lie. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. Well, she, she was on, uh, what was it, Malloy and Blossom. Uh, and Blossom. Blossom. There you go. And Big Bang Theory. Both are both uh, Scottish, I, so. I, I happen to like the Big Bang Theory, but that's remains. That's all right. It's America. Yep. You're allowed to have a shitty opinion. <laughs> One never turns down a paycheck. Oh, I wouldn't either. Hey, what are you, Olivier? Oh, wasn't uh, that John Houston? Oh, yes, it was John Houston, years. actually. Yes. So, we, you know, for our uh, world traveling sets here, we pretty much, you know, got Paris and you got San Francisco are our two real places. I thought both were used to good effect. I, I you know, I like the Eiffel Tower stuff and I like the Golden Gate Bridge stuff. Yeah. Both were far fetched. I'm not going to try and defend it on realism. No. But I thought, I, I personally found both to be fun. Yeah, well,. Yeah, I mean, for us Americans, we, I mean, we know we know California because it's that's where Hollywood is, and it's in every production before they started moving everything to Canada. So, I mean, we've seen California, but I imagine if you're from the United Kingdom or further points east, seeing the Golden Gate Bridge and some of the other architecture of one of the, you know the biggest state in the country probably was pretty interesting for people. And and the photography when they are on the Golden Gate Bridge, whether it's the real shots or the, the stage shots, give me vertigo. Um, so they did something right there. You know? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some issue with the fact that I thought the direction there, I, I thought he, he put together action sequences that were okay, but I thought it would have been much more effective if he had given you a couple of more establishing shots to give you a little bit more of what the layout was around them so that you could see, yeah. you know, how, how how did this actually manage? How did they manage not to fall to their deaths? Uh, I mean, they got all those guy wires on there. I mean, I... No, no, I, no, but I, 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 I'm just, I, think, I think the whole scene would have been more effective if you had just had a couple of more... You know, long long shots where you could see Wide exactly where the footing good, yes. was, where the the blimp was in relation to them, and how it all fell together. I I think I think it would have given you even greater vertigo, to be quite quite honest with you. If you had if you had a tracking shot that was just sliding smoothly left to right or right to left behind the people in the foreground and the blimp yeah. in the near background, yeah, right. you 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 would have gotten some more element of terror out of that and, and and there's been enough there's been enough blimp disaster movies you know that you, that you can sort of say yeah i know how they could have done this <laughs> so uh, uh, have, re re-watching this um did any of you seinfeld fans say that's gotta hurt when the blimp blew up because i know <laughs> i did i liked uh what was this character's name i'm trying to remember now uh the, the guy who was the horse doctor, the German uh, Carl, guy with, with, with the monocle. Carl Morton, something like what, that. What I, I, I kind of liked about him was when you first met him, he seemed to be benevolent. And and yet I'm watching it and I'm thinking, yeah, but he has a monocle, so he's got to be yeah. evil. And then it turned out he was evil. So well, was, there you go. Your assumptions were correct. I just kind of like that. with the monocle. Yeah, if he has a monocle or if he has a cigarette holder, you know, you gotta, you gotta, wait, he's gotta wait, turn wait. villain at the end. Mr. Peanut has a monocle. He's never hurt anybody. If I knew huh. who that was, I might have a comment. Mr. Peanut? Mr. Peanut? Oh, Mr. Peanut. I thought you said Mitch the Peanut. 
Who the hell that is you're talking about? Mr. No, Mr. Peanut, you you haven't seen how Mr. Peanut uh, treats the uh, peanut workers or the elderly. Oh, yeah, it's just him and Mr. Mr. Monopoly just running around beating the crap out of people. Yeah, I mean that's that is one of my favorite things in old comic books. So if you see the character with the uh, the cigarette holder or the monocle, you know they're evil. Oh, Namor had a cigarette holder in his, like, first appearances of Fantastic Four. So, yes, you know he was evil. He was evil back then. Yes, you all had a cigarette holder, too. Point proven! We have Papillon Susu as Pan Ho, one of Mayday's assistants. I'm pretty sure she's the the girl from, uh, uh, what, what's the, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Who tries to proposition? Uh, I won't do my interpretation of that scene because this is relatively family friendly. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, I said it nicely, uh, so we'll leave it at that. But I'm pretty sure that's who that is. I'm um, just looking at the cast now. If there's anyone else of any, uh, oh, well, Willoughby Gray Elsa was Dr. Carl Mort- Mortner, by the way, formerly Hans Elsa. Glaub. Elsa <laughs> from from Last Crusade. Oh yes, Allison Duty. Allison Duty. Yeah. Yes. Jenny Flex. Well, of course you are. <laughs> I, I see. I'm a mock for that. I can't help it. I love it. I like her ride in the morning. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, that's that. That goes back to Sean Connery's James Bond too. Yeah. It's uh. I don't... Well, I, there's there's so many of of those. Of course you are, or you certainly are. Innuendo extraordinaire. Yeah. And any other character? Any other characters? Any other characters that stood out to you? We have, and and I'll I'll give this one as a kind of a weakness. Scarpine, who is the uh, security chief. I I felt he was underdeveloped. He could have been more threatening. Yeah, Yeah, he's got a scar. Yeah, that was his big thing. He was walking around with a scar. Yeah, you should have given him a monocle too. Oh, maybe he could have had the cigarette holder. Oh, the give them all three. Of Here you go. I'm gonna, my screenplay is going to have a guy that's got all of those. You'll <laughs> make it big in Hollywood. <laughs> I hope so. I can't make it big out here. <laughs> I kept waiting uh, for that automated factory to start turning out uh, Terminators. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, you know, I mean, again, I, I want to try and be fair on the good bed. Uh, the whole thing with the two henchmen being wrapped up in the, uh, you know, with, with the, the the crates and everything was kind of stupid. Really? Well, that guy was really? like a low budget job. If it had just been a, a roll of piano, uh, uh, player piano paper, it would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It, 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 it's also telling that one of the big set pieces in this is just a fire inside of a building. It's like... Really? It's the best we got right now? We got a fire? We got a fire. Fire in a building, guys. Well, well when they they make Mr. Howe, he makes Mr. Howe call the police before he kills him. And he says, oh, yeah, we're dispatching the police. And I'm saying to myself, it's City Hall. Isn't someone stationed there? <laughs> Particularly how five years before in the real world, someone killed the mayor. In the city hall, you'd think there'd be a few cops around. Yeah, you'd think. Just a hunch. <laughs> Again, does, does the, do the Bond films at this time want to play into anything sort of realistic other than on a surface level, like, oh, we need microchips because it's the 80s? Yeah, no, I don't oh, think yeah. they're trying to make any sort of political messages. In fact, if anything, I think they're trying I think they're trying to pretend like they're making a political message while skir- skirting around it totally. Detente. Well, that see, that was brilliant. This this one was not brilliant. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm ragging on it too, but again, like I said, I throw it on and I get sucked into it because it's it is it's a rob and well, everybody's here's, trying. Here's the here's the thing. I am. Not, this is where you get back to where I I, I said I'm not a purist because. I can admit when I think something is bad and I still like it. No, yeah, me too. And I think we all um, can do. I, I think I'm kind of doing that. 
Because <laughs> I'm pointing know, out a lot of bad things about it. We step outside for we step outside of Bond. I can tell you, you know, I can tell you why I think Citizen Kane is a great movie. I can also tell you why I enjoy Tango and Cash. Well, well yeah, I, I can yeah, tell you easy. why why I believe Citizen Kane is a great movie, and I could tell you why I like hundred movies that are not as good more than it. Yeah, I mean, so. it, 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 it also depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking to be entertained for two hours and 15 minutes with some cheesy dialogue in many places, aging actors, some iffy green screen, but it, you you know when you're going into one of the, the Roger Moore films, for the most part, what you're going to get. I mean, they kind of, right from the beginning, right from his first film, it was pretty much a clean break between him and, and the, the Connery Bonds. It's a, it's, we're going to give you a totally different feel, you know? So if you had gone to see all the other ones with him as a kid or a young adult, and this you knew this was going to be his last one, you were going to go and you were going to be expecting certain things. And I think for the most part, they deliver on the things that most Roger Moore Bond fans would want to have seen. Whether or not those were well done is another story. I mean, you you, you get your your ski scene, you, you get your uh, you know the, the beautiful blonde Bond ladies, you get the evil henchmen, you know it it hit the standard notes. Uh, my my I guess probably my biggest peeve and the biggest thing that took me out of the movie was one thing you already mentioned, and then kind of a similar thing in the in the beginning. Uh, the the car that gets cut into pieces and still works beautifully, and the uh, snowmobile ski that he somehow turns into a snowboard. I love and, that. And doesn't oh, oh please, and he doesn't lose his balance. It's pro- perfectly fine with him on it. It's just it, it's pushing the levels of credibility just a touch too far on both. He made a getaway in a fire truck. And nobody spotted this vehicle into the next day when he arrives at the bad guy's camp. And yet that didn't bother nobody me. The other things bothered me, that didn't. Look, you know what the problem is with me? And, you know, I, I like all the Bond movies overall. The pr- problem is the way this pr- picture was written with very minor tweaks, you could have had Leslie Nielsen in this role. Oh, Oh God! I happen to love Leslie Nielsen movies, so could you see Leslie Nielsen? I literally, literally was thinking that two minutes ago and didn't say it, so I totally agree. Wow, that's oh man, that was like a dag in the hot day. Even the fight in the blimp, it would have been great with him in it. Yeah, there's a lot of stick in this. I I got a kick out. I got a kick out of Christopher Walken coming out with the axe and having the fight with him. I, I. I liked that scene. I thought it was a fun battle. I, I liked the inept German scientist lighting the sticks of dynamite and then dropping them and making the, the bim blow up. I just, I by the end, I was just totally hooked. I'm telling you, it was, I know it was silly. I know it was not the best directed, but I just got a kick out of it. I just thought it was fun. I think it had the credibility of the nude bomb. <laughs> Oh, that's that's that is that's even more harsh than Leslie Nielsen, because the nude bomb didn't even like live up to the get smart standards. Oh no, no, I mean it was nowhere near as as great as the TV movie they made later, The Return of Maxwell Smart, yeah. which was good. It did have the it did, however, have the desk mobile. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we'll look at that it one more closely on a later date. <laughs> it was better than LTD. Uh. But, you know, like I said, to me, the bottom line is I just had fun watching it. That really is. And and I guess as we go over the pluses and minuses of the movie, I can give you some things that I saw as solid pluses. Again, I, I liked Roger Moore's performance in this, despite the fact that he was too long in the tooth. I liked Christopher Walken's performance. Uh, I, and, I, and I loved Grace Jones's performance in the movie. So those things all really stood out to me. Uh, I thought the action sequences you kind of had to you kind of had to squint. If you squinted, maybe it might like, like look like it was pieced together better. But I thought they were okay and entertaining. Uh, and I thought the story was all right. I thought this, you know, yes, I know it, it was it was the same recycled plot that we've seen, but I thought it was okay. 
so really, overall, I just found this to be what I almost think is like the definition of a guilty pleasure. Um, something that you know is not objectively good, but you like it anyway. I'll meet you halfway. I'll meet you halfway. Not guilty pleasure, but certainly guilty. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe in the phrase guilty pleasure. I just, you know, I like well, what I like, even if it's yeah, objectively no, I, poor. Like I said, I, I'm, I, with you, I'm with you on that. I, you know, I've had this discussion with Scott a couple of times where he says, I don't feel guilty about anything I like. Yeah, and and I agree either. with that. I don't, I'm not apologizing for liking anything. But, like I said, my definition is, yeah, if, if I look at it objectively, I see enough weaknesses to know that, yeah, it's not a high-quality thing, whatever it might be. But I enjoyed it anyway, so that's what makes it a guilty pleasure. Absolutely. absolutely. And I, I, re- I recognize that. That's, that's okay. I think that the thing the thing about this is, and this goes, and you know, part of this is being a writer. Part of this is that I think we all have to admit periodically with these generational franchises that sooner or later we get mad at something not growing up with us. Like, like I mean, to me, Spy Who Loved Me is the first movie that my parents let me go to with a friend without another adult. So that was a big deal. We went to downtown. We took the streetcar and went to downtown Pittsburgh and saw it. Great old movie theater uh, called The Gateway. The, the, the building's still there. It's not a movie theater anymore. Huge balcony, you know, sat several thousand people. And when, when Bond skis off that mountain and the, the Union Jack parachute opens, you know, I was already a fan, but I was freaking hooked for life when that happened. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so you want you realize that the next movie's moonraker and they're falling into the bigger is better and that's the mindset of a lot of hollywood a lot of people in business a lot of other things and it wasn't mm-hmm. and we see to go outside of bond you see star wars and then you see empire and star wars is an innovational film but empire is a better film. Yeah. And then you want the next one to be better and the next one to be better and the next one to be better and sooner or later you get to Godfather 2 in space. And this, this is what happens with generational franchises. Sooner or later something displeases you because it's not as good as or didn't grow up the right way or whatever. And, and I, to me, I'm willing to admit that I might have just been fed up with Bond not maturing at this at, at this. It may be why I so dearly love Casino Royale and close to that, uh, Goldeneye. Because I felt like if younger Roger Moore got a script of that quality, what kind of movie would we have seen? Well, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I, I agree with all of that. I think, you know, part of the problem that you're pinpointing there. I think is largely due to studio involvement. Yeah. Uh, where, where they where they step on the toes of the creative people and say, "I don't want you to make better. I want you to make bigger." And yeah. if you're not going to make bigger, I'll hire somebody else who will. Do you think that was the case with the Bond franchise, though? Because I mean, oh, I Brock definitely think the had... Bond franchise fell into that. Yes. Uh, if you look at if you look at the end of if you look at the end of Spy Who Loved Me, it was supposed to be Fear Eyes Only next. But then you you know look at look at look at what we did there though we did for your uh, excuse me Spy Who Loved Me which I think is pretty much universally considered to be Roger Moore's best one. Mm-hmm. Then they followed it up they 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 shoehorned in Moonraker, which did not live up to the level that they had created. Great, then we came great back opening sequence nothing else. But then we came back with uh, for your eyes only that had a lot more meat to it, and yeah. it was almost like like you know. That to me, that is. I, I could debate which one is is more second best, but it certainly would be. Argue, people could argue that it is his second best after *The Spy Who Loved Me* because it had a lot of the elements. The one of the critical ones that you know that we talked about is just that it had the gritty Bond who pushed that car off the uh, cliff. Yeah. When he to- tosses the pin in on that on that guy and no. kicks the car. Yeah. And, and and oh, and even to get to the car where he runs up and stands and runs up all those stairs. Stands in front of the car, firing at it as it's driving at him. Uh, that's his best moment as Bond. Yeah, we, we, you know, but that, you know, that's where it shows me that that if you let the creative people have their way, you're going to get those moments. 
And if you step on their toes and say, no, but this is where we need the blimp to fly in, yeah, you know, that's that's where maybe you're going to lose people. Although, I liked the blimp. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it goes back and forth on that. You know, you, you just need the right mix. I know uh, the Pixar formula, and Pixar for many years could do no wrong as far as I was concerned, was that they, they would, you know, periodically stop production on their movies and then have like a, a, a round table discussion on what was going on and try and figure out if there was something, you know, somewhere where they were going off target or, you know, what it was. And it certainly goes against the theory of too many chefs and, you know, ruin the soup because they were making great movies. But at some point they kind of went awry too, as far as I was concerned. So there is no one formula that works. Oh, it's a, it- there's, it's a collection of human beings, and inevitably it's going to go off track. Yeah, it's just that it's that's just how it is. And yeah. and, and there is no one to, formula that's going to work. The question is, can, can you get can you get it back? Bond has demonstrated a few times that they've come from very far down to come back to really great movies. Yeah. Well, we're going to eventually see if you know as we keep going with this retrospective. Uh, Dave, what was the most recent Bond movie you saw? I ha- I haven't seen any of the Daniel Craig ones. But you did oh, see the, you so did see Brosnan. Yes. Okay. So when when we get to Daniel Craig, we're gonna have a set of fresh eyes looking at those movies, which is kind of kind of cool. I'm intrigued. I think that's I think uh, I would have to say I've, I've looked at this in view, reviewing other things recently. I. I know this is jumping ahead. Sorry. I envy you seeing Casino Royale for the first time. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't disagree with you. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, the, 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 biggest, the biggest problem with that is we're putting it on a pedestal right now, and that's never a good thing when you're going into you know a what? movie. I, Paul, I totally, I totally agree. And in this case, I think it'll be fine. Yeah, I think it'll be. Yeah, I mean, I know it's as 15 as, years old already. But we have a while to get there, it's though. It's not the one with Woody Allen. We'll, we'll be all right. Oh, well, that's the one I meant. <laughs> all so. that's left of M is his toupee, and they said, we don't regard it as a heirloom. <laughs> so, before before we get to our grades, any anything, any other thoughts on this one? Rewatching it, I was a little little sad because it is it is the end of an era, and I know that era ended thirty years ago. You know, almost at this point, yeah, thirty something. Yeah, but it's a part. But it's a part of your childhood, man. Yeah, yeah it, it is. You know, this this in the uh, in the in the next film, you know, were the ones that I kind of saw the most as a kid. So, um, yeah, it's just it's it wasn't the best that they could have done at this point and it, it does make me sad because like everybody has said if you had given a different script to an aging bond it absolutely could have worked a, a, a treat with something that a man of that advanced age could have really worked with you know i mean look at the john wick let me ask you a question yes you, you we david mentioned before or we or paul mentioned david's uh, liking never say never before um but they sort of hung a lantern on Bond being old in that one. They sort of really called it out without dwelling on it. If they had done the same thing here, is this a different movie? I, I think I think it improves but, it. But the but the problem is with this franchise, there was no thought that they were ever going to try to do a, a clean, hard restart of this character. You want people that have been around with this franchise for twenty years already continuing on and and saying, oh, let's go see the next Bond movie. There was no way that they were going to acknowledge anything like that because as soon as this one's done, we got the fresh bond ready to come in and we're going to move on like nothing happened. I'm going to disagree with you there because, and I mean, I don't want to go in depth on it now because we're going to, you know, we're going to get to the living daylights. But I think, I think they, I think they were trying to do what they did with Daniel Craig and they kind of got chicken a little bit and half-assed it. But it doesn't. I mean, if you know that the, you're going to have the next one right around the corner with a new actor, are you, are you really going to do that? But I think it in in the really next in the next one they tried to. I think they tried to reboot it with a more realistic, more gritty Bond. Uh, and I, like I said, I but I think they kind of bailed on it a little. If they had if they had lived up to their marketing 
with Dalton, we would be having a different discussion because Dalton talked about the books. He talked about more serious bond. He did. And he did such a job selling me when he was out there in the press that, that I was I couldn't have been more gung ho to see him. And I definitely have some thoughts on that. And I'm going to save for point, us to do that one. Up until that point, the, 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 the most awareness that was ever shot, that most awareness light that was ever shined on this was when Lazenby says this never happened to the other guy. Yeah, which is which a great I, line. <laughs> it is a great line, but God, if they were doing it nowadays, they they wouldn't do it. You think that's going to happen after Daniel Craig uh, goes the way of the dodo? Well, Daniel Craig, Probably. you know, has said that this one that we that we've been waiting on through COVID will be his last. Well, I mean, he's, it's almost twenty years that he's been playing the character at this point. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing how time flies. And I, uh, I've I've said, uh, you know, with COVID, I have not been in a movie theater yet. Uh, and I keep saying that James Bond might be the thing to bring me back. I was there. Yeah. I was there that Saturday before the lockdown on Monday. I was at the movies. Um, my friend Dinesh produced uh, Bloodshot, and I knew it was going to, you know, box office wise, was going to bomb because of COVID. And I just wanted to go out and support it. And that was, and I had, you know, like five people in the theater, so I didn't feel very threatened. Uh, but. Uh, I haven't been back either yet, and uh, I don't know if I'll see this one yet or not. I don't know either, and I, I suspect that I may, it, I may, I may get some as much chance as anything else. I may get some pushback at home saying no, I don't want you to go. So we'll see what happens with that. But uh, do any of you know offhand, or do you have any guesses as to the budget slash box office on this one? I'll you... take a whack. Budget. It's, it's 1985. It's a Bond movie. I'll say the budget was $30 million. Uh, that's pretty much exact. I watch way too many movies. I guess $30 million. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, box office? You, you have to guess at that now. 165 Let's see. I'll say... I'll say $120 Dave, you have a, a shot at this? Oh, I'm like Rain Man when it comes to this. I have no idea. About a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you guys, you guys kind of surrounded it. It was 152, <laughs> okay, which is still for a 30 million dollar budget. This was still another big hit. I think yeah. the the thought process of replacing Bond was less on the marketability and more on the. Uh, you know, what they were getting review-wise as far as the age of, of Roger Moore and thinking yeah. that they probably couldn't get the audience to to do this again, uh, you know, one more time. Yes, yeah, him at 59, 60 years old, that would be a tough sell. You'd, you'd have to acknowledge. See, the problem that. is I have a tough time letting go. In this instance, Sean Connery was my favorite Bond, so it wasn't as hard for me to give up Roger Moore. But if, if, if Roger Moore had been my Bond... I don't know that I would have been so quick. Even even with him showing his years, I still would have been like, eh, I could take it, do it all. When you know, when when William Shatner and, and all of them were getting older, I was saying it's okay, just keep having them come back. I don't care. It's, well, Star you know, Trek's a little bit different. You can do a compelling story without Jim Kirk, you know, fighting a lizard in the desert. You know. Well, when they finally had a, you know, when in his in his final appearance, he he was still the action hero. So, you know. I, I don't know that they, that they were going to go away from that anyway, but that's a that's a story well, for another day. He did fight a lizard in the desert. Well, he, he, he fought, fought McDowell. He, he fought, desert, yeah, he fought Soren. Well, I was, I'm talking about now. I'm thinking about Kirk. Oh, yeah, Kirk fought Soren, not Zorin. You know, Soren. I, I seem to remember there being a series of James Bond books. I want to say in the late '80s by John Gardner. John Gardner, starting with License Renewed. Right, and wasn't he older in the? He was older in the books, right? Well, I, he wasn't distinctly older. He was. There was a little bit of a maturation process. Uh, you know, he he did uh, drop the PPK in favor of a Ruger Super Blackhawk because uh, you know, in in real life, the PPK had jammed uh, for the British Secret Service uh, several times, and they stopped carrying them, um, and. Uh, there were other things that were definitely made to more up to date, 
but it was definitely in the vein of the books, not in the vein of the films. Yeah, I read I read almost all the Gardner books. Me too. I enjoyed. I I think we discussed this before. I I had picked up License Renewed and I read it and I just found it to be kind of dry. Uh, so I didn't really go for the books as much. But then I've also tried uh, to go with the Fleming books and still haven't had the same experience as watching the movies. There's a certain kinetic quality to the movies that you can't recreate in prose. Not well, a lot of anyway. the Fleming ones, you start reading them and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be like the movie, and it's just the title. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> A View to a Kill would be one of those. Because uh, <laughs> from what I understand, the uh, the story by Fleming has absolutely nothing to do with what we saw on, on the film. Uh, but all that said, we're going to get to the big question now. Where does it fall on the Jaws scale? I think we could successfully say nobody's going to find it to be a Jaws ranking. Mm-hmm. But uh, why don't we take it from there? And uh, I, I think we're going to go probably, I think we, we might work up from the lowest grade to the highest in what I'm suspecting we're going to have. So I'm going to say, David, I think you're going to be the lowest. Why don't you give us your grade first? <sighs> I never thought I'd say this. <laughs> You know, it's a real horse race between uh, that other James Bond movie that I really don't like and this one. But I think this comes in at a very, very, very low Jaws 3. All right, I'll accept that. Jeff, I think you're the next lowest on the scale, or or you may be exactly where he is or somewhere else. I don't know. You know, I'm trying to come up with what's the equivalent to F plus. Um, <laughs> I and John's the revenge. Um, well, what we what we say is okay. Just to go over the scale again. Yeah. You got Jaws, which is a classic. Okay. Jaws. I, I, and, and, I literally and, watched that yesterday. And and once again, this is not necessarily correlating to the actual Jaws movies. But just yeah, for for our ratings purposes, Jaws two is a really solid movie. You could rewatch it over and over again. It just doesn't quite live up to the level of classic. Jaws three watchable, enjoyable, but nothing special. Jaws four is bad, and then we have the Jaws seventeen, which is so bad that it's funny. There we are. You going with the Jaws seventeen? Okay, yeah. that that is the first official Jaws seventeen on this show. Well, I I appreciate the honor, the dubious distinction, whatever you want to call it. Um, as I said earlier, it really comes from the not utilizing walk-in and, and truthfully, I was so fixated on that thinking about this, this week that I forgot about what they, uh, the bastard way they treated Patrick McNee and didn't utilize him right. And, and the minute you guys started talking about that, I started getting madder about this movie and I was just like, yeah. Well, so bad that it's funny would, would fit the, uh. You know the the Leslie Nielsen or uh, or or, or yeah. get smart uh, paradigm that we discussed. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know who's going to be higher. But again, higher. doesn't stop me. Doesn't stop me from listening to the theme on my playlist, man. <laughs> well, well, the only okay, I'll well, let you go. The, the, no, go, Paul. What are you going to say? I, I was going to say to me again. It's it, it was an enjoyable movie. I I enjoyed it more than I expected to, uh, but. The fact that I've only seen it twice in 36 years, or however, I think it's 36, I think I'm getting my numbers right, says to me it does not have the rewatchability. So it doesn't, it can't, I can't put it as a Jaws 2. It's going to be a Jaws 3. To me, it's right solid in the Jaws 3 category. It's watchable, it's enjoyable, it's nothing special. I was on the fence between a Jaws 3 and a Jaws 4, but the, the absolute banger of a, of a title track and my enjoyment of both Grace Jones and 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 Walken um, lifted to a, a very 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 low Jaws three for me. Um, if this one pops on cable, not that I've watched cable in several years, but you know, I I could see myself getting to a point where I'd be sitting on the couch like, what haven't I watched in a while? Eh, I'll watch View to a Kill. All right, and I'll enjoy it, even though I have a lot of problems with it. Okay, so. That'll do it for A View to a Kill. And next time out, we're going to have a new Bond. And 
like I said, I think we're going to get a new attitude from our uh, Bond movie, a, a, and an and attempt to be more gritty. Uh, I've already kind of given you a preview as to what I think of that attempt, uh, but just the same, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be fun after watching the whole Roger Moore era to see a new guy taking over and, and critique it, because I've watched the movie, but I've never critiqued it before, so... Next time out that we uh, get this group together, we'll be looking at the Living Daylights and see if that theme song holds up to A View to a Kill. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank happy you very much. I always, always enjoy the time. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Alive and well, I see. And still bungling in the dark. Well, then why don't you enlighten me, Zorin? You're out of your depth. And you, sudden. You should have accepted my more than generous offer. You can take your offer. Don't bother, Stacy. He's a psychopath. You two have joined forces? <laughs> that simplifies things. He's probably armed. Stacy, I... Mr. Zora. Call the police, Mr. Howe. What's going on? Tell them uh, there's been a break-in. Ask them to get here as soon as possible. You're being used, Mr. Howe. Uh, hello. Uh, we've had a break in here. City Hall, Office 306. Come at once. What have they done? You discharged her. <laughs> so she and her accomplice came here to kill you. Then they set fire to the office to conceal the crime. But they were trapped in the elevator. And perished in the flames. But that means I would have to be dead. That's rather neat, don't you think? Brilliant. I'm almost speechless with admiration. Intuitive improvisation. It's the secret of genius. Yeah, Dr. Mortner would be proud of his creation. Please. Get back. <laughs>